Hello and welcome to the What's Cooking podcast. This is our Adjusting With mini-series where we're chatting to some of our past guests to hear updates on how their businesses are going and highlight any new initiatives that they might be working on at the moment. They'll be talking us through how they're adapting to challenges and generally keeping going during this time. If you want to find out more about these guests that we're chatting to, and we definitely recommend you do that, you can scroll back through our archive and find whole episodes with these guests. You can learn about their businesses and what they're about. We really hope you enjoy these mini episodes and that you find some kind of comfort or inspiration in what they have to say. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Wonderful. Are you really? <laughs> um, you know what, we're, we're in the same boat as everyone else really. Mm. And we can complain as, as everyone's going to, but... Um, we can't change anything. No. Um, obviously, business has gone down around the world. I know chefs who've worked for us over the years, and I still keep in touch with them, and they're from as far afield as Argentina, and they say it's the same there. It's just fallen, just collapsed. The same everywhere. Yeah. And how, are you, how are you feeling kind of personally, business aside? How are you, how are you and Donna doing? We're quite good, actually, to be honest. Um, don't forget, we've had 16 years of very, very long, hard work. And all of a sudden, it feels like retirement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it does get retirement. Yeah, <laughs> early retirement. But it does feel a bit boring sometimes. But generally, yeah, we're okay. You? Yeah, good. And we're, we're both Kat and I are pretty good. I'm waiting for Kat to come in. She'll come in soon. Um, but yeah, generally, we're pretty good. Same as you, kind of. You know, still thankful that we're in good health and we are able to kind of still keep a little bit busy, which is good. Yeah, it's just so strange. Uh, I mean, we were talking on your last episode that when you do take time off, it's pretty, it's just so, it's so hard for you to take time off. But now, here you've got weeks. Long. Weeks. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, uh, I think something else has come out of this, and I've spoken to a few people who've said, maybe it's a catering thing, but some people actually said they're actually enjoying this new life. Really? Mm. There was a, a woman that used to work for us. Um, uh, she's down in Brighton now, and she said, do I want to go back to my mundane life? She works in a restaurant. Do I want to go back to work until midnight every night? Do, do I want to go back to working over Christmas? Do I want to go back to that life that's very, very tiring? And... There's a, a guy I know as well I was talking to um, who was in business and he said, and he's been in business for years and years and he's always, he's about 70 now and he still works. He's had many, many businesses. And he said, I still work. He said, but it's weird. He said, because for the first time, I don't have to um, worry about the phone call that's coming in. I don't have to worry that I'm going to get someone to say suppliers haven't turned up or anything. He said, it's actually quite relaxing. Yeah. How novel for chefs yeah. to feel relaxed. Yeah. Well, he's, he's not even in catering. He, he does property, uh, okay. uh, all sorts of things that are not related. But he's, for the first time, he can relax. So, interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's what's good. other people been saying? 
I mean, obviously you see, you speak to lots of different circles. Yeah, really wanted to chat to you because I think the restaurant scene is so interesting. So we spoke to Alex Head from Social Pantry. So she's got a restaurant in Ealing, Sones Kitchen, and then a couple of different cafes, as well as a catering unit. And they've been able to take advantage of the government scheme. So the, they found the furlough great. And she said, money's coming really quickly. And the, um, the kind of rateable value in the council's money has been good. But what's kind of going to be difficult for them is A, the rent, because there's no rent relief at the moment. And then the second thing that she's, you know, considering and thinking about is if we are allowed to go back into restaurants and cafes, there's going to be some restriction, whether it's distancing or takeaway only. And if, if that kind of furlough stops or kind of making sure that you're still able to make, you know, have enough revenue coming in to be worthwhile staying open. And as you all know, it's challenging enough without an additional barrier what she's saying is exactly what everybody else is saying okay Um, i feel a little bit i told you so but what we donna and i did is and a few others i've spoken to when it first happened we quickly calculated and realized that you know a lot of people at first were saying oh we'll be open in a few weeks and we're going to be back bigger and stronger and myself and Don and a few others, so I went, really? You calc- it's simple maths, some of it. You work out that you can't pay your rent. You, you, you would need s- stock to restock because most of it's finished now. Mm-hmm. You would not run at full capacity. The numbers don't add up. You know, I know on TripAdvisor, everyone says, restaurants are so expensive, blah, blah, blah. But the margins are very, very tight, and money runs out very quickly. We, unfortunately for us, we... VAT on restaurants is very, it cripples restaurants because we can't claim it back. Mm-hmm. So you claim very little back. So what happened is for at the end of the first week in March, we paid a huge, I won't tell you how much it was, but we paid a huge VAT bill and VAT wiped restaurants out. So it wiped us out and then we paid, we had our staff runs every two weeks. We paid a staff run and it just wiped us out. And then a week or so after that, business fell off a cliff so we our our bank account was empty anyway and then this happened yeah everyone has a different story that's the other thing that alex was saying is that if it had happened straight after christmas at least everyone's accounts are a bit healthier but it happened after january february if you had a kind of quiet early march it's not it's your account's not looking that healthy at that time of year anyway no i mean we were always busy and we always have been busy and we a lot of people complained that January to March was quiet, but we were quite busy, so, and okay. we also wouldn't, didn't mention it. But all of a sudden, and our accountant put it quite, quite clearly, he said, when a recession hits, you know it's coming, and you can feel it, and you, 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 you make, you prepare for that. So you might have to, you'll cut your stock down, you'll, you'll adjust your menu, you'll adjust your staffing. And that's what happens when a recession hits. When this happened, it literally was it, Monday, Tuesday. It just happened. It fell off a cliff immediately, and you can't prepare for that. And did you kind of consider? Because a lot, well, not a lot, but some places have kind of changed up their offering and done the boxes or done takeaway. I mean, 
I can't see that that would fit with you, but did you con did you that? <laughs> yeah, takeaway doesn't work for us really, um, just because of the way our food is. Plus, also, if you think where Chancery Lane is, it's not residential, so it would be you'd have to travel a long way. It doesn't really work. However, and I don't like takeaway. I never have. I don't really understand why you want a, a sweaty, tepid burger turning up in a, in a torn bag. It doesn't really appeal to me. Um, a lukewarm curry, I just don't get it. I, literally this morning, I've just been talking to someone. It's a bit hush-hush at the moment. But I've been talking to someone about takeaway, but on a different scale and, and done differently. It's only the early stages, and there's quite a lot of investors in it. Um, and we've been asked to, to be part of it. So it's quite interesting. Uh, normally I would have said no, but this is, is a different way around it. Yeah. But generally, I've, I've spoken to a few people in the industry and they said, I've, because obviously I've never been involved with takeaway, and I said, is it worth it? And the answer was, generally, it, it's apparently takeaway, it depends on the operation, but like delivery will take 30% or something. Yeah, it's high. Yeah, so yeah. you lose quite a lot. But also at the moment, because there's so many people doing takeaway, the market's saturated. So you could, if you're doing, I don't know, 10 meals a day, if you do 10 takeout a day, is that worth it? At what, eight, nine, 10 pounds? And when you take off a third, then you take off the food cost, and it's, I, it doesn't really work for me. No, and staff costs and kitchen costs, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think you have to be doing something really simple for it to work, whether it's pizza or something, something that's really, the base ingredients are really cheap, you can get it out really quickly, it's still, the quality's kind of just as good, like that kind of thing would work, but you know, that's not you. <laughs> so that's interesting, if you could kind of explore something else. Um, and how about, can you, have you kind of thought about any, offering anything online, whether it's your expertise or classes, that kind of thing? Again, have thought about it. <laughs> Again, everybody's doing it. Yeah, um, true. And, and I think it's been saturated. I, I, I kind of, typical style me, I took the mick a little bit on Instagram and Twitter and I get a little bit frustrated when I see some chefs out there doing a soup with ground caraway seeds and a touch of truffle oil. And you think, but people don't have this in, a, in their cupboard. So I had a few ingredients from Aldi and I quickly did a, a, a veg curry in, on my phone in about um, 18 seconds or something. I said, right there, that's how to do it. Because I'm just a bit sick of seeing it. Um, I thought of doing it. Um, our kitchen's a bit of disarray at the moment because it's, um, it's been ripped out. So it, it doesn't look very pretty. I'm also in talks with someone else about doing this in the future. We did some cookery classes at um, Divertimenti in, yeah. and are very enjoyable. I used, to, I used to be a college lecturer. So we have talked with a company that does online courses and it's something we're looking at in the future as well. Yeah, so, that's interesting. We didn't get any help, any government help. The only thing we got was furlough. There was the small business grant, I think it was 10,000 we didn't get. The 25,000, well, that was on your raceable value. Well, there's not many properties in central London with a raceable value of less than 51. So we didn't get that. So it's quite tough. Um, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm talking with chefs around the world and they say the same thing. They say that, you know, you get a little bit, I don't know, maybe cocooned. Uh, and we look at 
our country and we talk about what's happening. But when you speak to other people, it literally is mirrored around the world. And it all happened at virtually, the, uh, there's a guy I used to work for, uh, with us from Costa Rica. And there's everything, I, he even said, he showed me a picture of their supermarket and he said, look, the toilet rolls have all gone. And I said, it's exactly the same here. <laughs> I was talking to a guy in Argentina, uh, he said the same there, uh, an old chef friend from Northern Italy where it's really bad. He said, it's so bad there, he, he now runs his father's business and he said, but I can't get supplies, I can't get out. He said, my business will fold very soon. It's a contract cleaning business. And he said, but there's no offices to clean because nobody's there. I can't get supplies. He said, literally everything has stopped. I was talking to a wine supplier. I this. This fascinated me a little bit because when you think about it, we think about knock-on effect. So we think, for example, um, if, if a restaurant has stopped trading, which we all have, and doesn't have any money to pay a supplier, then that supplier is stuck and doesn't get paid. I was talking to a wine guy and he said, he said, what you don't see is, he said, in the wine world, you have to have a lot of stock. I said, yeah, obviously. And he said, so we now have wine producers from around the world emailing and calling us and saying, pay me. And I said, oh, of course, yes. He said, but we're not getting paid because nothing's happening. He said, so we can't pay the wine producers. But then he said, and if you think about that, if a vineyard in, say, Italy is um, speaking with a distributor in London and saying, I need paying. Right. That same vineyard probably deals with 20 distributors in the UK and probably 10 distributors in Manhattan and maybe 8, 12 in Paris. When you start to look at that, you think, wow, that just affects everything. I was even talking to um, a cheesemaker and she said, she's obviously not selling cheese. And she said, and her milk supplier, she buys sheep's cheese, used milk. And she said, they rang her up and said, do, do you need any, any milk? And she said, obviously no. And she said, because we've obviously, it's lambing season, and I don't understand farming very well, but it's lambing season. And she said, and the, the, normally the, the, the lambs go off to, we all know where they go. Um, and she said, and we take the milk, but nobody wants the milk. Another friend of mine said he was talking to someone, a friend of a friend in Holland, is a supplier of potatoes to McDonald's around the world. So he said their stock is full. They've got these huge, I don't know how it works, but huge areas where they keep stuff, um, storage areas, and there has to be a certain temperature for potatoes stored. Mm -hmm. But then what's in the fields can't be harvested because they don't need it. It's literally getting ploughed back in because they can't use it. So everything, well, you know the oil story, so everything just stops. It's weird. You think back to yourself and you think, our little problem seems small compared to some of theirs. Yeah, that's really interesting. We've, we've heard a similar story from, from Nikki, who's got a friend who's a potato farmer, who said something very similar. Every, all the, they've got enough chips in the freezer, basically, for, for ages, and they don't need the, current, the, new, the new crop. And just thinking about the knock-on effect, but you mentioning all those different producers just makes you realise just how many different farmers there are applying. And because of that, because of the industry being completely stopped, like you said, just straight away, 
it's just having such a huge knock-on effect. I am. Um, I do believe some some good things. Obviously, there'll be a lot of bad things come out of this, but there will be some good things. I was talking to a, a veg supplier. I know a lot of veg suppliers of what they're doing is they've resorted to the veg box scheme, etc. I was talking to a friend I used to work with, and she lives up in Kendall, the Lake District, and she said, although it's different, there are similarities between what happened with foot and mouth. And she said, because if you lived in the countryside, especially in that area at the time, you'd realise, she said, it was similar. She said, literally everything stopped. We had to disinfect our Wellingtons and, and, she said, and everything stopped. Businesses dropped off. Everything, you know, she said there was businesses that had been going for years and just went bankrupt immediately. But then she said, you've got other things came out of that, like the farmer's markets, farm shops came out of it. They got government grants. She said there was one particular, I, I don't know the name of it, she was a little cafe in the Lake District. And it, it, it relied heavily on tourism. And when people were told they couldn't go there, obviously this cafe, like others, just disappeared. But then they started making chutney. Started making chutney and became a multi-million pound company making chutney and selling chutney around the world. And I do, it was interesting to listen to her because she said it, it feels like a bigger version of that mm. where we just got stopped and we, we weren't allowed to travel. And it feels a bit like that. And I do think there will be some good things come out of it. There will be a lot of bad things. But there will be some people who will adapt to the situation and get something out of it. Do you think you'll change anything of how you operate? Oh, this is the one everyone talks about, isn't it? I mean, the social distance. Yeah. I don't get how it's going to work. And for us, we all know this. We, we Everybody's talking about it. How can a, a restaurant with, if you've got 80 covers on a Saturday night, how can you operate on 20? And it, the, the numbers just don't add up. And everybody says this, and we all know this. But then, and I've been quite diplomatic about this, is that other people say, yeah, but landlords should lower their rents. Yeah. Yes, but no, because if a landlord has a mortgage on a property of, I don't know, uh, £5,000 a month, and the rental income is £3,000 a month, well, they're operating at a loss, and they'll go bankrupt. I'm not saying I love landlords, but I can see that they are a business as well, you know, in, in the same way that the, the guy down the road who has a little shop is a business. So they're, they're not just there just to provide a service they have to make money otherwise they go bankrupt so we talk about the social distancing um with that work I, I can't see how other things have cropped up um obviously mass unemployment there'll be lots of unemployment with that which usually happens with unemployment is you get wage drops because you know there's, there's more people to do one single job so, so wages will drop businesses will have less money to pay higher wages which is pretty obvious Taxes will rise. The government will want these 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 grants back, mm. so taxes will rise. So I think the average man in the street is going to have less money, and that, that seems pretty obvious. Another thing that that we've talked about with other people, God, there's so many things, <laughs> um, is that a lot of suppliers, like a lot of businesses, will, will likely be likely to fold. And if they do, if you have say veg suppliers. If 50% of them disappear, the ones that are left have an opportunity to increase their prices because there's less competition. So the product could become more expensive. Also, uh, because of the way restaurants work, if I'm telling you something you already know, I'm sorry, but we, whatever we buy in a month, say Feb, 
we pay for it in the March. It's, it's the credit terms with more suppliers. A lot of people are thinking that that will stop because th their credit will have run out, their, their, their cash reserves will have run out. They'll want paying immediately. Mm. And that could be quite difficult for a restaurant because what people don't realise is when you pay by credit card, you're waiting several days for it to, to come into your bank account. So the cash flow will have, will have stopped. So these suppliers will need paying straight away. So when you think about all these things and you think, <laughs> will you change things when you open? You think, I have no idea. Basically, we're holding tight just to see what happens. We don't have an answer because this hasn't happened before. It, it, you know, it's not like you can look back in history and say, well, what we did then was, I mean, there's been similar incidents, but not the same. So we're just holding back and just seeing what happens. And if someone has a brilliant idea, great, we'll have that. But if not, we'll just have to do what everyone else is doing and wait for some answers. Yeah, you have to, you have to kind of wait and see what the measure of the situation is as it, as it unfolds it's going to change and yeah be it's just hard it's hard with the unknown of it I think yeah and as we keep saying you know no one could this wasn't in anyone's business plan this wasn't even in as a you know vague possibility no one there's no kind of um contingency for this um so it really yeah it really is you know especially for for restaurants like yours i guess it is wait and see and it'll and pro, you know it's a there's there's a good community in the food industry so i imagine that everyone will talk to each other and you know share ideas and share the way that things are working and not working i was talking to a friend recently um a good friend of mine who had a an outlook on this which was and again some of these things we already have an idea but if you look at the big offices in, in, in London, will they still be around? Because if, if people, if large companies have realised that having 600 people in an office or 600 people at home with the same productivity, why do they need a huge office block, which has cost them a lot of rent and rates, etc. So obviously, and I know this has been said before, but there's that thought that maybe a lot of these large companies will reduce the size of the property they need. Therefore, you won't need contract caterers. All you need is little sandwich shops on the corner. But then the other side of that is, if you do that, imagine the transport system, because the transport system around London, uh, you know, when you, if you go down as far as Croydon, etc., the transport system, the railways, the, the tube, the taxis, the buses, they rely on bringing people into London. And if 50% if of those people don't come back to the centre of London, you, the transport system is then in trouble. So when you, there's another thing, you, another knock-on effect. And then something he was talking about, and he said is, he, he reckons, his, his outlook on it is that when you, if you look at the younger people, if you look at someone who's 16 at the moment, they, they know something's going on, but they're probably not as bothered as we are because they don't have a job. You know, someone who's 14, 15, 16 doesn't have a job. They're not really bothered about the tube system. It's not as important to them as it is to someone who's 45 with three kids and a mortgage and a loan and a car. It doesn't matter as much. And something he pointed out was that if you look at, to the past, for example, the last World War, the youth that came out of that didn't really know anything prior. So they didn't know what was happening before the war because they were, either weren't born or they, or they were too young. And 
afterwards you got the 60s and you got this new culture and a new movement and you know there was peace and love and 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 he's predicting that maybe out of this will become will come a new culture mm. maybe some of the things we've seen in the past was there an oversaturation in in the in the market were we very materialistic will that change yeah that's really interesting and um I read a kind of an article in the Times about the Roaring Twenties, and they were saying that maybe this is, you know, we might have a sort of second Roaring Twenties, and it was kind of a similar vein, saying that, you know, although there could be an expectation that people will be wary of spending time in social places, actually, there's another view that people will be so appreciative of, of just social interactions and company and that maybe it and in whatever form it takes actually you know some of some of the hospitality places and event spaces will actually kind of thrive yeah definitely um although this time one of my concerns this time is that is that people you know in the past when a war finished a war finished but mm. this you know that you've still got something there that people are afraid of there was a virus yeah. Which brings me back to one of the things a lot of restaurants are saying is that if I have to put in social distancing, I might only have, I'm going to give an example, 25 covers instead of 60, for example. But when you think about that, there's very few restaurants that are full every single service. So someone's assuming that, you know, they, they, they sat down doing a plan and saying, well, we can only take 25 people as opposed to 60. Yes. But if you were only doing, say, on a, on a Monday night, which is generally a quiet night in a restaurant, in the past, you might have only been 50% full. So in the future, that 25 people on a Monday might only be 10. But the people seem to have in their head that if they reduce capacity, let's say it's 50%, they'll only be trading at 50%. It doesn't mean they'll be trading at 50%. It could actually be less numbers that because you're not busy every night. and Again, you're still going to get some people will be afraid. I was talking to another friend who said that out of this, you might find that central London becomes quiet because there's less office workers, less people working, less tourists. And yet the neighbourhood restaurants could be the ones that benefit because will someone who, who lives in, say, Finsbury Park on a Saturday night want to get on a tube travel into central london where it may be crowded it may not when it would be easier and safer maybe to go to a local restaurant yeah it's really going to hinge on confidence of people and their behavior i think and the kind of steps that they do that they take to take us out of lockdown and to further reduce restrictions will i think be key in in kind of how people will react and behave. Yeah, I think that, you know, and then I think uh, someone was talking about trying to increase the furlough so it, it carries on for a longer period because when people open, they're going to have less, there'll be less money around. So how, how are we going to pay staff if you don't have the, the income coming in? Uh, so many things. Another interesting one I was talking to, um, there's a guy I know that works in investment and he's doing a webinar. And I said, how is that looking? And he said, in times of crisis like this, 
what you often find is that, for example, if it's a housing market or, uh, or housing prices drop, a lot of people panic. And he said, but investors don't panic. That's when they snap them up. And he said, so the investors at the moment are looking at what's worth it investing in. One of the things they don't want to invest in, it seems, is tourism. And this is quite interesting. I never thought of this. He said, but something that did come out of it is investors are assuming that the housing market will pick up because he said, traditionally, if you look at January, January is the, January is the time, the month when people have that feeling of it's a new year, it's a new chapter, let's put the house on the market. That's, that's the way it always has worked. And most financial markets work on confidence in the, in the public. And he said, as they were talking on the webinar, they said that if a lot of people have sat at home with their kids, locked in for days and weeks and weeks and weeks, and they're going to turn around and say, it's too small, this house. This garden's too small. They've also decorated a lot. So then they're going to sit there and say, you know what? It could be worth something, this place. And he said, they reckon that coupled with the fact that out of this, people will feel like it's a new start and a new life and a new chapter, the housing market could pick up, which was quite a nice way to look at it. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that's such a good point, actually. Is there anything else that you wanted to share? <laughs> um, People should uh, follow you on Instagram because you got some funnies on there. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I do those things because it amuses myself, to be honest. Um, good, they're good. <laughs> I, I've spoken, what I've tried to do is I try to when I'm talking to people, I try to to speak to people in different sectors. So I spoke to a, an old friend who works in charity. I spoke to uh, lots of different types of suppliers, a builder, a roofer, a, a landlord, a commercial landlord. So I speak to different people and try and get their, their views because, you know, sometimes, sometimes when you're in a certain sector, that's all you hear. You know, if you look at who... I or someone in the restaurant world follows, they generally follow other people in that sector. You know, I don't think many chefs follow a decorator or a plumber, but you see, you tend, you tend to hear a, a repetition. I'm hearing the same things. And when I speak to people in different sectors, I'm looking for, I don't know, a, a glimmer of light, a few tidbits that are, are going to be useful. But generally, everyone says the same. Everyone, nobody really has an answer, and I know they don't, but no one has, you know, you sometimes speak to people and they can turn around and come up with something that you didn't think of. Everybody says the same thing. Everybody says this knock-on effect, um, how we're going to survive, how we're going to financially come out of this. And nobody seems to have an answer or, or, or even a thought or an idea. Sometimes we get, there's, a, there's, a, there's positives about restaurants and there's negatives, and we, we quite often, as restaurateurs, you get, there's a certain sector out there, a certain segment of the population who assume that restaurants owners are millionaires and, uh, you know, I can buy this stuff in Tesco and make it myself a home for a quarter of the price. Why am I paying this? And why is it so expensive? And the guy I was talking to said, hopefully they realise now that the example of why it's not just about the cost of a cabbage or the cost of a a piece of meat there's a lot more to it than that and hopefully you can see how fragile restaurants are they the restaurant world is always on tight margins and it 
takes the slightest thing. You only have to be quiet for two weeks and it can have a massive impact. And hopefully they can see how fragile the restaurant world is, including, you know, cafes, etc. And how it only takes a slight thing to tip it over. And this was a big thing to tip it over. But we don't operate on huge margins. And hopefully afterwards, that sector of the population will appreciate what goes on. Hopefully. Yeah, no, I hope so too. And and also, you know, maybe going to eat out will be appreciated more and seen as more of a treat and an occasion and people will be willing to spend more money on it and understand that, you know, it, it is a it is a privilege to go and sit in that restaurant and spend time there. And it's not just about, you know, you can buy whatever at Tesco's for a quarter of the price it's actually so much more that that goes into it and um because who was it was was it you or was it we spoke to someone that said that i think it might have been you andy that going out to each you know when you go and you pay your bill it should be seen as kind of um renting that space for the evening as the occasion rather than just literally what's on your plate was that you that said that oh it wasn't me but i can see that i can we can say that about everything, you know. I, 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 why is champagne so expensive? It's just fizzy wine, you know. We can we can belittle anything and 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 look for a reason why it shouldn't be expensive, you know. That why is a Ferrari more expensive than a Ford Focus? It's just a tin box on four wheels. But we know there's more than to it than that, and we're hoping that that I know there are people that do appreciate restaurants, but those who who've never really thought of them or considered the, why they're so expensive or why something costs so much, we'll look at it differently. And again, with food, I, you know, obviously there's a lot of people cooking at home now, which I think is brilliant. And I think that, I think that will become a hobby again. And uh, in the same way that, you know, people have done DIY, the DIY dropped off, you know, in the 70s it was huge and then in the 80s it was big and then it's disappeared. The, the large um, DIY companies are struggling. And I, I'm hoping that these these home these home hobbies become become big again. Yeah, it will be really interesting to see, like you said, if the culture does shift a little bit. Yeah, and I think we'll have to wait a few years really to see see fully the impact of it, because, like you said, this knock on effect and the chain. I think some of that will be slow to see, and. Yeah, hopefully there will be some positive changes that come out of it as well. I definitely think there will be a new culture and I think I think there will be some positives come out. A lot of positives come out. And I think people will look at their lives differently. I do believe that. Thanks so much, Andrew. It was really great to chat to you. Thank you very much. Anything you need, give me a shout. But for now, nice chatting. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah. And um, we'll be following all your updates see what you're up to. Brilliant. Catch you later. Bye.